Hello. Welcome to the first episode of the 21CC podcast, brought to you by the Chartered Institute of Building. 21CC is short for 21st Century Construction. That means we'll be looking ahead to the challenges the industry faces, such as quality and safety, sustainability and skills. I'm Rod Sweet, editor of Global Construction Review. Many of us on the team here have been covering construction for many years, and we think the solutions to these issues will probably emerge from unexpected places. So expect the unexpected, and in the process, some darn good stories. In this episode, we hear from construction social media influencers. Yes, they're a thing. About the surprising benefits of getting a following on LinkedIn. No matter what role you are in construction, so if you're a a finance director or a CFO, if you're a HR people person, if you're commercial, if you're procurement, estimating, there's an audience out there in LinkedIn. We'll also hear from 21CC's resident jargon buster, Justin Stanton, who will explain once and for all, and with no shadow of doubt, what some of the tech jargon bandied about now actually means. And with digital technology rising up the agenda, we hear from Stephen Frost at Milestone Infrastructure, which claims to be digital first. I think if you looked at us on site, you wouldn't notice that much difference because we're still doing fundamentally a, a similar job. But the differences would stop there because eventually you'd come across the digital devices. So you'd have laptops, you'd have the, the mobile tablets, phones out there. There would be a complete lack of paper. This interesting story is presented in association with Procore, and we'll be taking a look at their eye-opening new report on tech adoption called How We Build Now. With all eyes on Ukraine just now, we hear from an architect who for the last year has been making inroads into that country with a unique system his team developed for fixing apartment blocks damaged by Russian missiles. Let's get started. With air raid sirens still sounding in Ukrainian cities, it may seem just too early to be thinking about rebuilding the country. But the sheer scale of the physical damage from Russia's illegal invasion is such that people are thinking about it, including local authorities in Ukraine and built environment people there and around the world. Consider the scale of the damage. Entire cities and towns have been reduced to rubble. Last September, the Kyiv School of Economics estimated that around 136,000 residential buildings had been destroyed or damaged, including some 16,000 large apartment blocks, many built from precast concrete panels in the 1950s and 60s. The latest cost estimate for rebuilding stands at more than 411 billion US dollars. These figures help us understand why more than 5 million people are displaced inside Ukraine and why more than 8 million have fled the country. If Ukraine is to have the future it wants, those people need homes to return to. One person thinking about this is Canadian architect Zenon Radovich, principal at WZMH Architects in Toronto. He and his team, which includes Ukrainian architects, both in exile in Canada and still in Ukraine, have been promoting a precast concrete modular system called Speedstack. The firm designed Speedstack before Russia's invasion last year as a way of building new residential blocks quickly anywhere. 
The modules are self-contained rooms with built-in services and a locking mechanism that lets you add or remove them as needed. But after the invasion and the influx of Ukrainian staff, they started adapting it for use in restoring Ukrainian buildings damaged by Russian missiles. Here's Zenin, who happens to be a Canadian of Ukrainian heritage, describing how it could work. If the end of the building has been hit, slice off that end, maybe slice off the equivalent of two or three or four or five modules, slice it off, rebuild a speed stack. If the top of the building has been damaged, slice that off, okay, and add speed stacks. Um, if the middle has been damaged, rip out that portion in the middle. And the reason why we could say this now is having worked with Ukrainian structural engineers and understanding those panel buildings that were built, you know, back in the 50s, 60s, uh, you can do this. I mean, those panel buildings, they're actually all prefabricated. So so the walls, the floors, they're all prefabricated elements. So it's kind of, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's a lot simpler to kind of go in and slice things. In August 2022, they took their idea to the nearest outpost of the Ukrainian government they could find. And the response was immediate. Our very first presentation of Speedstack for Ukraine was to the embassy of Ukraine in Canada. And then right after that, that presentation, they contacted a number of government officials in Ukraine. And then right after that is when we started getting a lot of people from Ukraine contacting us and saying, this is interesting. We'd love to see it. We'd love to use it, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I can tell you right now, lots of interest to wanting to use it. The big issue is who's going to pay for it, right? So so that is really the thing. And, and they're very open and honest about it. They're like, hey, Zenin, we love this idea. We want to use it, but we could only help so much. Uh, we can't provide the funding. You know, if you can get the funding, we will support you on the ground. Approvals, you know, fast tracking, you know, permits, that kind of stuff. Since then, Zenin's team has helped two local authorities with concepts, designs and costings for a building in Irpin and one in Kyiv, providing the documents the authorities can use to solicit international funding. Zenin said the Irpin authorities had now found a donor for their scheme. The engineer WZMH retained to assess the building concluded that a conventional refurb and not speed stack would do the job. WZMH didn't mind. They just wanted to help. At first, Zenin was eager to build a speed stack prototype in Ukraine, but that has proved impossible so far. We almost started building uh, back in September of 2022, okay, uh, uh, utilizing a private sector concrete builder. And that basically just went on hold because if you recall September-ish, the missiles really started flying into Ukraine, right? And the guys at the concrete plant said, listen, right now is probably not a good time. So we kind of put it on hold. He still wants to build a prototype there, and his company is working with a specialist UK consultant, Heimdall Risk, to explore ways of doing that. So they're going to help us right now uh, look at raising some funds um, from different inter international organizations to build this potential pilot project. We'll pay for a portion of ourselves, but we got to get some more funding to actually pay for this. So we're, we're kind of moving there towards that. But again, we, we were kind of really rushing and then we realized, hey, wait a minute, it's probably a bit too early right now with uh, what's still going on in Ukraine. In the meantime, Zenin's team is promoting the Speedstack concept among Ukrainian universities and Ukrainian architects. They sponsor four paid design internships at two universities. And they've organized 
two design competitions for architecture and IT students, offering $5,000 in prize money for the first and $7,000 for the second. A third is now underway to design a speedstack building in Kharkiv. Zenon explains why they're taking this approach. The way that it works a lot in Ukraine, what we've learned is a lot of the, call it, um, endorsement behind new solutions, new ideas, actually comes from the universities. So, you know, in, in other parts of the world, like Canada, U.S., I think even in, in, in the U.K., you go to, you know, different associations, standards associations to get your products approved and stuff. In Ukraine, it's, it's very much the, the, the universities. If you have their endorsement, if they support what you're doing, uh, if their engineers are behind it and stuff like that, then it's a lot easier to, for the government to say, okay, that's fine, it's good, now you can use it. WZMH also invited Ukrainian architects and design students to produce concepts for buildings using the Speedstack system. Many have responded with designs for houses, apartment blocks, hotels and schools. Together, these designs represent an inspiring vision for how life in Ukraine could be once this senseless aggression is over. We've reached out to a whole bunch of Ukrainian architects and we actually give them a small sum of money to create concepts out of Speedstack. And that whole idea is to promote Speedstack, but to promote the Ukrainian architects. They provide them to us, we then publish them on social media. Uh, I think we're up to now with our eighth, eighth concept of buildings designed in the Speedstack by Ukrainian architects. So we're, we're doing a lot of things to really promote uh, Ukrainian architects, to showcase them to the world, their talent and all that kind of stuff and, and feed them a few bucks. It's not a lot, but it's a few bucks to kind of, you know, feed their way because we, we know that things there are, aren't great right now economically. For now, Russian missiles still rain down, sending Ukrainians underground to find shelter. But while no firm end to Russia's illegal invasion is in sight yet, hope still burns brightly. You're listening to the 21CC podcast. And now... Are you influenced by influencers on social media? Or do you leave all that stuff to the youngsters? If that's the case, you may be surprised to learn that construction has its own social media influencers now. People doing normal jobs in the industry who've gathered big audiences just by being themselves. Turns out it has real-world benefits, from getting a new job to attracting talent into your company. Christina Lago, Deputy Editor of Construction Management Magazine, went to see what that's all about. Social media. Some love it, others hate it. Regardless of your stance on it, what is evident is that social media is everywhere. If you're on the tube or a bus right now, chances are that the person sitting next to you is scrolling through Facebook or Instagram. But can social media help you progress in your career or find new job opportunities? According to construction social media influencers, the answer is yes. I spoke to Anno Kafo and Carol Massey, both very active LinkedIn users with thousands of followers, who shared with 21CC how social media has helped them in their careers. They also shared some very useful tips. Anno Kafo started using LinkedIn a few years ago while attending CPD events organised by her local CIOB branch in Scotland. It all started with basic actions such as tidying up her profile. Today, she has her own personal brand. But Anne, beyond your social media exposure, has your use of LinkedIn translated into real job opportunities? 
Yes, um, and I absolutely couldn't possibly list them all here for you because there's so many of them. Probably a good one to mention at this time is that actually during COVID, my role was made redundant because of my network on LinkedIn. I was able to secure three job offers really, really quickly. And then I also I got this job, which then became an opportunity of itself because it was a better position than what I had before. So the opportunities have actually been endless and so varied. And I find myself often doing things that I would have never thought possible, being in rooms that I would have never thought I'd have been in and being in company that I never thought I would have been in just a few years ago. And it's, it's just fantastic that social media opens all of those doors. Carol Massey is another construction social media influencer that uses LinkedIn on a regular basis. She's the head of construction at the Access Group, one of the largest UK business management software companies. She has almost 8,000 followers on LinkedIn and has found the platform useful to make connections in the construction industry and beyond, as well as further her career. Honestly, I was overwhelmed by the opportunities. I've done some women in leadership fireside discussions for the Hertfordshire Chambers of Commerce. I've been heavily involved in um, the Women in Construction Hub. And also I've been asked to do some discussion with some of the tier one contractors. Um, More recently, I've done some work with, with Multiplex. So it's opened up a lot of opportunities as well. And also, you know, I'm all about giving back into into the sector and especially for women in business, because it is a challenge if you're a female, not only if you're in a male dominated sector, but if you're a mother and you're trying to juggle, but you want to have a career is challenging. And I feel from my story, I've got something that I can give back. According to a 2020 report on the use of social media in the construction sector by construction marketing firm Handmade Marketing, there is still some reluctance to use social media within construction compared to other sectors. There are examples of companies in the industry that have a strong social media presence, mainly among the big players, but this is not so much the case for smaller contractors or individuals. And still, LinkedIn remains the most popular social media channel for construction professionals. And what's your advice for workers in the industry that want to improve their LinkedIn profile and boost their presence? First thing I think is is to, to be personable. So to share a bit of your personality because we can get in the thought sometimes that it should just be business, especially on LinkedIn. People think it should just be business, 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 but actually people buy from people. So they want to know about you as a person and they want to know what drives you, what motivates you, what interests you. And sometimes you might think that you might not have something in common with someone, even though they may be in the same industry, but actually you might, you might both like a certain film or you might both like ducks. You know, um, my ducks on my profile get me talking to lots of different people about lots of different things, but it's a good icebreaker. And, you know, the same with my outfits, you know, so so you could relate to different people on different levels. So I think sharing some of your personality is actually really important. As much as obviously the industry related content is important as well, can open different doors and relate to different people when we talk about our person. And here are Carol's tips. If you're a director, senior C-suite director, and I know with construction, you know, you've got senior management that probably have been on the tools and moved to boardroom. And technology sometimes isn't a great place for where they want to spend the time. However, when we've got a sector that is looking to bring more people in, those senior levels, 
they need to get on onto LinkedIn. They need to be sharing the experience of, you know, being in the boardroom, you know, commercial managers. Talk about what's going out on site with your quantity surveyors. Build up your little community. You know, talk about, oh, we had a variation on a contract. Talk the language and give that visibility. Because what that does, there is graduates as university candidates that want to come into construction if you you think about the age range they all they have is social media and all they know that they can go into LinkedIn and that's where the expertise are so I would always say no matter what role you are in construction so if you're a a finance director or a CFO, if you're a HR people person, if you're commercial, if you're procurement, estimating, there's an audience out there in LinkedIn. So if you've heard it from the experts, be yourself and be consistent. You can read more about social media influencers in construction, including interviews with Danny Clark and Christina Leia Riley in CIOB People. Just visit ciobpeople.com. You're listening to the 21cc podcast. Thank you, Christina. Lots to think about there. Like, maybe I could get more traction on social media if I talked about my hobby making sauerkraut. Anyway, to ease us into our final segment about technology, we're joined by Justin, scourge of jargon, who will demystify some TLAs you're bound to see everywhere these days. Sorry, that's three-letter acronyms. Welcome to 21cc's Jargon Buster. The construction industry is awash with acronyms and jargon, more so now as digital technology creeps into the industry in all its phases, design, construction, handover and operations and maintenance. I'm Justin Stanton, editor of BIM Plus, and each month I'll tackle an acronym or slang related to construction and its modernisation. Today, let's tackle... VR, AR, and MR, or to spell them out, virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality. Some people bandy them around as if the terms are interchangeable. While not wishing to act as a gatekeeper, it's my job here to note that the terms do have distinctly different meanings. So, virtual reality, VR, is simple enough. A computer-generated three-dimensional simulation of the real world that you can interact with. Typical examples of VR in the built environment include walkthroughs of building designs, whether for the commissioning client, the supply chain to help plan logistics or pinpoint safety risks, or even end users such as prospective house buyers choosing interior decor for a new build home. Augmented reality AR is a technology that superimposes a computer-generated image or objects on your view of the real world. Typically in construction, this means the superimposition of the three-dimensional design onto your view of the live site. This enables on-site monitoring with a focus on non-conformance, deeper engagement with stakeholders for more detailed visualisation and more detailed assessments and planning for logistics and safety. You don't necessarily need to wear a headset to use AR. It works on mobile devices too. Indeed, that is its key selling point for construction. Finally, mixed reality, MR, does much the same as AR, but most expert definitions state that MR requires a headset. There's an argument that by wearing the headset necessary to facilitate MR, the user has their hands free, 
unlike AR, and can thus engage with either the virtual or the real world. Of course, the meanings of words and their usage change over time. If there's a bit of industry jargon or an acronym that you'd like 21cc to tackle, drop us a line at 21cc at adampublishing.co.uk. Thank you, Justin. And now, in association with Procore, we're going to take a little dive into what it actually means to be a digital-first construction company. You're listening to the 21cc podcast. How would you describe the last few years? Bumpy, maybe? How about VUCA? Another acronym for you, Justin. It stands for Volatile, Uncertain, Complex, and Ambiguous. It's not exactly reassuring, but there may be a silver lining amidst all the upheaval. Last month, global construction management software provider Procore released a report called How We Build Now, based on a survey of UK and Irish construction leaders. A headline finding was that economic volatility had led three-quarters of them to boost investment in digital technology in just the last three to six months. More than a quarter of them, 28%, said they'd made a significant investment. 12% of respondents said they were already digital-first construction businesses, which could suggest they've pretty much ditched paper-based processes in favour of automating the flow of project information. To help us read the runes of this report, we got together with veteran industry writer and researcher Denise Chevin and digital pioneer Stephen Frost, head of digital and innovation at Milestone Infrastructure. Stephen said Milestone is one of those digital first companies. I wanted to know more. If you're a digital first company, what would an outsider from a, a non-digital first construction company that's like yours doing, say, roadworks and stuff like that, what would they notice about the way your company goes about projects? I think if you looked at us on site, you wouldn't notice that much difference because we're still doing fundamentally a, a similar job. But the difference is would stop there because event because eventually you'd come across the digital devices so you'd have laptops you'd have the the mobile tablets phones out there and you'd see people using those there would be a complete lack of paper um, that that's always the aim of the game with with, with the where where we're going um but actually that would be the biggest difference when you're in a digital first sort of uh, a way once you get into that then you start getting into client engagement that's where you start leading with data. You don't lead with, here's a bit of paper, here's how the email, how we're doing it. It's, we've been working with you for a month. Here's our dashboards. Here's our reports. This is what we've got. And you're feeding them the data and information. So again, it's communication being driven. And I think that really goes back to that digital, digital first approach of the idea is reduce paper, inform people as quickly as possible to what you're what you're trying to do, because fundamentally you're still trying to deliver the same thing. But this way you end up delivering it in a quicker way, effectively. If I'm a construction company boss and I want to kit my company out with digital information systems, should I worry that they won't work with the systems of other companies? Mainly it's more a case of making sure that you're your digital tools actually work within your supply chain and all the project stakeholders that are involved with this. But more importantly is to actually review where you're looking to go. 
with your systems? Where are you looking to make those connections? Are you looking to make sure that in the longer term you are going to be connected? You are going to buy into a platform, a particular tool set for another decade? If that is the case, what is their roadmap? Are they looking to connect? Uh, a, a lot of the tools that are out now and around now are built with open first. So they always have open APIs, connections, those sorts of things for the for the, the bigger tools. And it's like really, it's more a case of understanding what you where your place is and your company's place is in respect to the digital market within construction. Denise, you've been watching this space for a long time. What stood out for you in this report? I think what was interesting for me as someone who's written about the sector for a long time and looked at how how well it's doing uh, digitally and embracing digital technology, that there was, a, I would say, there had been a turning point really in people's attitude that people were now seeing technology as something that would save them money, would help their margins and I think that's reflected on, on the fact that people had invested during a recession when traditionally during volatile times, people cut their spending. So to, to find that people are actually investing at a time when it's a, a sort of crunch time and, and cash is a bit harder to come by, um, that, that says quite a lot, really, in, in the confidence they have in, in what technology can bring. The report showed a shift in other attitudes as well. I mean, one other figure that um, I thought was, I don't know whether it's high or low, but 33%, so a third, are are saying that they currently manage and track carbon emissions. That's quite positive, really, I've thought. Carbon, historically, is not an easy thing to track, um, especially when you're in the highways sort of sector. You can understand where you are within your own terms, but a lot of our a lot of the main contractors are just that contractors. They, a lot of their work is sub subbed out to subcontractors, and trying to understand their carbon footprint that actually aligns to yours uh, can be tricky. But saying that, there's been a there's been a massive shift uh, in the last three, four, five years. Another of the report's findings was that in the UK, nearly 30% of decision makers say that rework or rectifying mistakes takes up between 26 and 50% of a typical project's time. In Ireland, 22% of respondents said the same. That suggests there's a lot of rework going on. Both Denise and Stephen were surprised by those figures, although in Stephen's case, it's because his company has been at war with paper for several years already. I think it's because I work in a digital company and we've been digital first for six, seven, eight years now um, from when we transferred from one to the other. And having uh, having that digital uh, ability to be able to really understand the data means that you can understand it at an earlier stage because you can understand what's gone wrong earlier you can avoid there there being rework so technically speaking when you're actually looking at these these designs especially when you get it in it you've just won it right you're planning it out and you're going to do that job at those early stages if you can understand things in a digital perspective and run that virtual uh, sort of virtual site walk effectively if you can do that before you even get there you're saving money you're also saving the ability to have to do that rework and then you're reusing that data as the project goes on and then you can start getting into things like augmented reality and things and finally i asked steve for anyone who hasn't started their company's digital journey what's the first step 
to take stock of where you are. That's the main key thing is don't try and find an option, find a solution that fits where your business is now. It's finding a solution is as to where your business is going to be in the next five to 10 years. They, it takes a long time to set, change your systems over and where, where, where you go towards. And you always want to make sure that when you're going to take that plunge into, I'm going to take on this new tool or completely change the direction, that you're 100% sure that not just you're involved in it, it's all your employees and everybody that's going to be part of your business um, comes along with you. Thank you, Stephen. That's interesting advice. And thank you, Denise, and our sponsor, Procore. That brings us to the end of the first episode of 21CC. We hope you found it interesting and useful. Tune in next time when we talk to women crane drivers, explore whether robots have a future on construction sites, and ask, why are we giving female workers PPE that doesn't fit? If you liked the podcast, tell others by rating it wherever you found it. Give us a mention on social media with the hashtag 21ccpodcast. You can contact us by email on 21cc at atompublishing.co.uk. Thanks for listening.